This is Gil Manser welcoming you to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on Northern California Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests are novelists Susanna Solomon and Kathy Zane with two books about women escaping abusive males. Suzanne's book, Montana Rhapsody, features a pole dancer who escapes an assault by three men by stabbing one with the stiletto heel of her shoe and then spraying the others with a can of hairspray. Kathy's book, Better Than This, features a woman with an older controlling husband and a past she's tried to forget. Kathy grew up on the beaches of St. Petersburg, and she is a writer, psychotherapist, and former labor and delivery nurse who draws on her many years of working with women and families to create narratives of growth and empowerment. She believes in the power of story not only to entertain, but also to inspire, connect us to our common humanity, and instill hope. You can tell you're a psychotherapist. Yes. yes. <laughs> Susanna Solomon is an originally East Coast resident and moved to the bustling San Anselmo when it had a hardware store, a five and dime, a shoe repair shop, a car parts shop, two department stores, and two pharmacies downtown. While raising her young family in the 70s, she became a freelance journalist and disappointed with her prospects there, she returned to school and graduated summa cum laude from San Francisco State with a degree in electrical engineering. Over the next 15 years, she designed electrical systems for projects throughout the Bay Area, and in the auspicious year 2000, she opened her own business and hasn't looked back since. She started writing short stories for the joy of it and read her first Sheriff's Call story to a packed house at Perry's Pints and Prose in Fairfax. That piece became the first in her collection of short stories entitled Point Ray's Sheriff's Calls, which she shared with our word-by-word listeners back a while. Her second, was that in 2012 that you were here? Not when it came? The, the first one came out in 2013. And 13, the second so one it was came 2013. Out, yeah. Okay. Um, her second collection, which continues to feature the wonderful, goofy characters inspired by the weekly listing of calls made to the sheriff in Point Reyes, is entitled, originally, More Point Reyes Sheriff's Calls. Montana Rhapsody is her first published novel. Kathy, I want to welcome you to Word by Word, and Susanna, I want to welcome you back. Thank you, Thank you. Kathy, in Better Than This, Sarah Jenkins, who's your main character, appears to be the perfect mother and wife to all of her friends and those around her. But what she is trying to hide are the dark secrets that surround her life and her challenging marriage. As terrifying truths begin to surface, Sarah will find it hard to keep herself from falling apart until she finds a letter that she had long forgotten about. And I love that line, so I had to use it. <laughs> so tell us a bit about Sarah and her, her problems, if you can, or, you know, how many, we only have an hour, so 58-minute hour. There we go. So Sarah is a young woman in her mid-20s mm -hmm. who is married to, in a five-year marriage to a much older man, and that um, came on the heels of a breakup with her college boyfriend. And she was quite heartbroken, very quickly married this man, uh, Robert, who mm -hmm. was her husband. Had he been married before? Uh, he had not been married before. And so we start to see in the book very quickly some signs that something's not quite right in the marriage and it becomes apparent that he's quite controlling um, there's emotional abuse and Sarah tries very hard to continue to maintain the perfect facade so she hides from her friends who start to get inklings that something's not quite going right mm -hmm. um, and slowly 
things unfold. Is this set in today and somewhere it's local? Set, it's set in today in Seattle. Okay. And she's not sleepless, though? <laughs> she's not sleepless. <laughs> Although she may have some sleepless, sleepless nights. Sleepless nights, <laughs> yes. So what do we need to know about her inside, her, her strengths? So Sarah is a school teacher. She uh, teaches English and was... What grade? Um, high school. Okay. And was very... Uh, studied, studied English in college, Was uh, received awards for her writing, uh, but has since given that up because her husband really wants her to focus on the marriage and her daughter. They mm-hmm. have a five-year-old daughter. Right. Uh, so she teaches school. He, he. That was his concession to her for her to teach school. But um, she still yearns for the writing. Mm-hmm. And what does she? He do? He is a very. He's from a very wealthy Seattle family and is a powerful businessman. We don't have a real sense of what he does, but um, he's gone a lot, and so she's left home alone quite often. Mm-hmm. So what is the first, uh, you said that we, we quickly find out that things are not as we think they are. What's the first clue? Uh, the first clue, actually, I could Why don't you? read you That'd a be passage. Great. Yes. So this is very early on in the book. Um, they are planning to go out for the evening for Sarah's birthday. Mm-hmm. And so she's been rushing to get home, get her daughter settled, trying to be ready to go out. The daughter's going out too? No, the daughter is going to be home with a babysitter. Okay. All right. So, with Lizzie bathed and settled in to watch a video, Sarah began straightening the den and cleaning up the kitchen. Tidiness wasn't her strong suit. She was comfortable with clutter. It made a house feel lived in to her. But not so with Robert. He liked everything in its place, and Sarah had learned that nothing triggered Robert more than having the house out of order. Although he never offered to help, he'd wanted a live-in maid and nanny when Lizzie was born, but Sarah had been uncomfortable with the idea, so he had reluctantly compromised on a weekly cleaning service. But he'd been clear that any additional cleaning needs, and childcare needs for that matter, were her responsibility. She heard the front door open and quickly tossed the plastic takeout bag in the trash as Robert walked in. Her body immediately tensed. She'd perfected the skill of sensing his moods within a few seconds, and she could tell that today was not a good day. He dumped his briefcase and keys on the counter and began to take off his overcoat. I need a drink. He tossed his coat over the back of the chair. Sarah caught her breath. She knew she needed to tread lightly. Be good. Be supportive. Not say anything to upset him more. Rough day, she asked, trying to calm the quiver in her voice as he walked around the center island and opened the cupboard. Something like that, he said as he grabbed a glass. He continued to fix his drink, getting ice from the refrigerator and vodka from the liquor cabinet without looking at Sarah. Want to talk about it? Nope. Robert poured vodka over the ice. Sarah searched for something to say. Being supportive wasn't working. Maybe a distraction would help. Lizzie's been asking to see you. She wanted to see you when you got home. I need some downtime in a shower. He picked up his drink and kissed Sarah quickly on the forehead as he passed. Be a dear and put a video on for her. I'll see her in the morning. He strode out of the room, drink in hand. Sarah slumped back against the counter and slid to the floor, cradling her head in her hands and fighting back the tears. She felt so alone, again. 
She knew it was probably stupid to keep expecting something to change, but she was really tired of feeling like a single parent. She would tried to do everything she could think of to make him happy, but it never seemed to work. He was so distracted and irritated all the time. Where was the fun, charismatic man she had married? She wanted to try to talk to him, but that always seemed to backfire. It always turned into her fault somehow. How was it possible to be married and feel so lonely? Mm-hmm. Is that what she anticipated or expected? Not at all. Had he wooed her and wine and flowers and everything? He wooed her, very charismatic. Um, and, it, and throughout the book, you see moments of that come out. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll be very distanced, and then he'll come back with a grand expression of that pulls her in and keeps her hooked right. into the, their dynamic. Sounds like the classic abusive relationship. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. The carrot and stick thing. The push and pull. I'm very familiar. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to go and see an entirely different kind of relationship between, as you say, and what your book is, Montana Rhapsody, is about a pole dancer, a farmer, and a river. Yes, that's right. right. Uh, but the first part, we meet the pole dancer in the middle of her uh, act. Is that what you can call her, it? That? Her routine. Her yes. routine. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's gets off stage and she's tired and her feet hurt because she's in this stiletto heels, right? Mm -hmm. And a thong and a bra and that's it. That's right, yes. Yes. Scantily clad. Scantily clad. (laughs) And she heads upstairs to the dressing room and she is followed by three um, men. If you could start right here where it says five minutes later. Five minutes later she heard heavy footsteps just outside, more than one. The door burst open, shattering the jam. Harry stood there, smiling, arms crossed against his chest, two stagehands flanking him. Mike had a soft face, just a young kid, but Bart looked like a walrus. Tough mustache, short, tufted hair, and a muscle shirt, a thug. Honey, you're not supposed to say no to the boss, Bart said. He's a sensitive guy, Mike added. Hey, Laurie answered. Anticipation is better than the real thing, don't you think? I love to make men crazy. One she could handle, but all three? Mike the kid looked weaker than the others, but that was probably deceptive. She'd have to take the thug first. She slipped off one impossibly tall stiletto and wrapped her other hand around some hold-it-till-you-die hairspray. Well then, boys, she said calmly, if you'll just give me some privacy, I'll be ready to service all three of you. Me first, Mike stepped forward. Ignore him, Bart said. Laura kept her eye on Bart. The pleasure's all mine, boys, Harry said, pushing past the other two. Hand your bra to one of the gentlemen, and Bart, smile and be polite. There's a lady present. Bart stood to the side, grunted, and leaned forward. Mike rested against the wall and crossed his arms. Harry pressed forward, coming to within six feet of Laura's dressing room table. She lunged and drove the stiletto heel into Bart's shoulder, drawing blood, and turned and squeezed the hairspray into Mike's eyes. Mike staggered, bumped into chairs, knocked jars onto the floor. Bart grabbed at the shoe, still stuck in his arm. Like I said, Laura, no is not an answer. Harry pulled his belt free. Forget about those guys. I'm ready, eager, and able. Laura dropped back into her chair and, with one shoe on, drove her heel into Harry's groin, missing his vitals by inches, but doing some damage. She felt meat. Roaring with anger, he went for her leg, but she sideswiped him, 
jumped to her feet, grabbed a hairpin, and stabbed him in the ear. Harry grabbed his bleeding ear. Outside the corner of her eye, Mike blinked back tears and lunged for her. She grabbed a bottle of cologne, broke it on the counter, threw the contents in his eyes, and shoved past him toward the only window. Not so fast, sister, Mike yelled and grabbed her arm. She held out the jagged glass, slashed him with a hard right, opened the window, and prayed for a way down. Six feet below was a balcony and a fire escape. She wrenched Mike's hand off her arm, climbed out the window, and broke her fall on a metal chair. The dark night loomed over her as she pulled the fire escape ladder free, ran down the steep metal stairs, and dressed in her skimpy bra, a thong, and one shoe, descended to the sidewalk and ran. Ah, wow. <laughs> We're right in the midst of things there, aren't we? Yes. She is not a uh, pushover by any means. Let we me... don't We don't really know a lot about her background, though. Do we, is that intentional? Well, we, we know she um, was a... Her mother was a single a single mother, and uh, things were hard when their father left. Mm -hmm. And Laura, uh, much to her surprise, found out that God had given her a particular present. So she early started dancing and mm -hmm. was able to support her mother. Right. Yeah. And you've been a dancer a lot for your life, too. I've taken ballet. I have taken some pole dance classes, That's though. That's right. That's yes. what you told me. Yes, uh, in Sausalito. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Of course. <laughs> yes. I, I tell you, there's a lot of muscle you don't know you have when you start pole dancing. And um, it's actually quite a lot of fun. And uh, you wrap your legs around the pole and you swing around the pole. And uh, you get a lot of bruises from the pole. Right. And uh, they're called pole bites. Pole bites? Pole mm -hmm. bites. And your legs, it, beginning pole dancers have these bruises. Um, but if you want to see some real athleticism, take a look at these uh, on the web, take a look at some of these uh, women because they can they can do yeah. some phenomenal yeah. things. Takes more strength than I have. Okay, well we've got a contrast here, so I'm going to ask Kathy to make a comment about uh, this dangerous situation. Did she handle it the right way? It sounds like she did a great job. <laughs> it sounds like she has some real inner strengths that uh, my protagonist doesn't in the beginning. Uh-huh. Yes. In the beginning. Yes. Yes. Now, one of the setups in a, in a classic uh, abusive relationship situation is the uh, expectations you're trying to do. It's, it's, it's the old patriarchal perspective of the guy's always right. Is that a short version of it? Short version, yes. Okay. And uh, the woman is there to serve him, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's kind of the same guys that just broke into that room. It's their, it's their God-given right to get what they want. That's right. Mm -hmm. Now, she is in Montana, which is an important thing to know in your story, of course, because it's called Montana Rhapsody. Mm -hmm. And uh, she starts running down the street, and the guys stumble out, you know, holding their wounds and bleeding everywhere. She's covered with blood, which is not her blood, but... Not her blood. Right. And she finds a guy driving and jumps on his... Uh, He's a Campbell Carr, a businessman from New York. He's mm -hmm. driving the wrong way down a one-way street mm -hmm. in Great Falls with a convertible. And just at the nick of time, she jumps into the back of her car, his car, and they speed away. Of course, he doesn't know who this scantily clad, blood-covered woman is in the back of his car. Right. And she screams at him to go faster. Go faster, get away. But they, yeah. the guys are chasing after them. They are. And soon the car, they get in a car and chase yeah. after them in a car. 
Yes. And then there's a, a thing which would be great in a movie around the winding roads outside. Of, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And Campbell has to get to the little river town of Fort Benton mm -hmm. because he and his daughter are going canoeing the next morning. And um, he, they think that they Well, it's, made... not, it's not just canoeing by themselves. They're no, in a tour group. That is correct. A canoe, what do you call that? A, a canoe trip. Canoe trip, mm -hmm. right. With other people With and group, guides. Yeah. and Yes, right. Mm -hmm. uh, they provide the the stuff to eat and the safety equipment and et cetera, et cetera. That's right. And the canoes. And the canoes. Um, Fort Benton is is on the on the banks of the Missouri River, and you go across the plains of Montana and then drop down to uh, Fort Benton. And as they drop down, they think that the other car no longer sees them. Mm -hmm. But they do. They do. Yes. That's right. So um, let's pick up your lady. Mm -hmm. It's time for their date. What happens? So they go to dinner in a very um, sort of stuffy, high-priced restaurant that Robert likes and that his parents frequent. Mm. Um, we find out a little bit about his parents at the restaurant because the waiter, the waiter mentions we had the pleasure of having your parents in the night before. And mm -hmm. Robert acknowledges, yes, their normal Thursday night date. And Sarah and the waiter have an interchange, just a eye, eyes meeting, knowing that a pleasure isn't how they would describe Robert's parents, quite um, entitled, quite snobbish. Do they and, like her? And they don't like her. Okay. They feel that Sarah, in fact, Robert's mother feels like he really married beneath him and has treated Sarah more like help most of their marriage. So they have this um, dinner. Sarah continues to try to engage him around their daughter, and he gets a little angry, so she backs off. And then on the way out of the restaurant, they run into Sarah's college boyfriend, mm, who she hasn't seen she for five years. With, right. Yes, who is in town. And they have a brief interchange, and it's upsetting to Robert. So on the way out... He grabs Sarah's wrist so hard that he ends up bruising her. Mm -hmm. um, is this the first physical? This is, yes. Yeah. And, and there isn't much physical in the book. It's that kind of occasional incidental. Yeah. It's mostly emotional. Um, but yes, so that um, that's what happened as they went to dinner. So does that raise her hackles and her suspicions? Or does she just say, oh, it's a... <laughs> You know, it was an unusual time, and I put him in that situation by having a boyfriend, et cetera, et cetera. She second guesses herself. She's she the feels, enabler. She feels angry at first, um, but then starts to second guess. Wow, maybe because he accuses her of flirting, and she says, "Maybe I was flirting. Maybe, maybe this was my fault. Maybe I shouldn't have." So she really goes back and forth, and throughout the novel, there is her inner dialogue running, which is quite critical. Mm -hmm. She has a very critical inner dialogue running. Okay, I'm going to shift over to Susanna. Your lady is scantily clad on the stage, dancing in front of primarily men, I assume. Yes. Um, and I imagine many of the men who watch her think that's a license to do with her what they want to do with her. You could make that assumption. You could make that. Because we're mm -hmm. in Montana, right? It wouldn't mm -hmm. happen here in Sonoma <laughs> County. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I hope you understand I, that I tongue that, in cheek. I yes. imagine there's some interesting clubs in Santa Rosa if you can find them. Yeah, yeah. 
So how does, I, I have two granddaughters who uh -huh. were teenagers, and how does a young woman dress without, and still say no in how she dresses today? And I'm asking you just as women. There's a, there's a push-pull between a woman's desire to dress the way she wants and, uh, and the male gaze. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was at a restaurant recently, and I'm usually not a prude. Um, it was a, at Marin Brewing Company in Larkspur, mm -hmm. and the hostess, who was well-built, had an extremely low-cut top, which I think was perhaps pleasing to most of the male clientele, um, but I thought it was a tad vulgar, mm. and I even made a comment about that to the waitress. Now, you can dress with, with class, you can dress to titillate, um, but I don't think the male gaze is going to change. And uh, you have to, I, think, I think sometimes young women might need to put that into, into mind when they're dressing to go out. I've seen lots of mm, very short, short shorts Mm -hmm. um, for last me, year's short shorts. Last year's short <laughs> yes. shorts that are even shorter, and yes. I think there's a there's a limit, and uh, women like to flash, and men like to look, so you have a problem there. Right. So I'm going to ask you to put on your professional psychotherapist hat. You, and this is a generic question, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, people you talk with, women you talk with, do they feel vulnerable today? Many do, and. Yet I think a lot of the younger women also feel more empowered mm -hmm. than women were in my generation. Right. Yes. In what regard? Um, there's, I just think our cultural climate is more um, supportive of women today than when we, you know, when I was, the, the whole Me Too movement that's happening right now. Right. You went um, to school in, um, in Florida. I went to school in Florida. I went to college in Florida. Right. And um, that was in the 70s. And it was almost, for me, not, you know, uh, you know, I had my own experiences of, like, having bosses come on to me, you know, when I was working as a waitress or that's, those kinds of things mm -hmm. that, I, that I think today would be much less accepted. I hope, hope so. Yes. yes. And, um, and I think women feel more empowered today to say something about it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a challenging and interesting time. We're having a push me, pull you kind of thing of, you know, what's this and what's that and who's this and who's that. And it's, it's not cut and dried, but let's go back to Montana. Our things, we meet a group on the river. Yes. Do uh, you want to tell us a little bit about those very interesting illusions? <laughs> <laughs> There's a there, the the Campbell, the guy who's driving the convertible. Yes, he's he's uh, he's in Montana to uh, to go canoeing, but he's also invited his daughter Francine along. Who is fifteen? Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. Um, but he hasn't been very thoughtful to Francine for a while. Campbell's been out uh, having a mistress in New York, a mistress named Daisy. And he all of a sudden realizes that pretty soon Francine's going to go away to college and he's going to lose her. So he invites her on this trip. He forces her to come. So this is a bonding experience, father-daughter bonding. Yes. There's one scene where she's her usual difficult self and she tells him. You mean him, teenager? Yes. <laughs> and she tells him she's going to go swimming and so takes off her shirt and she's showing a very tiny red bikini. Mm-hmm. 
of course, he just upsets him no end. He says, your mother let you buy that? Did she? <laughs> and there we go, back yeah. to the same right. situation. Right. Um, but uh, so they have quite a lot of adventures on the river where both both come to understand each other better by having difficulties on the water. Mm-hmm. So, But Francine's mother goes to a Lutheran church that got a new minister. So we never see her. She's in a, New York. Oh, this is not the woman I thought it would not Beatrice? Uh, um, Bernice. Bernice. Bernice sorry. is Eby. Eby is the farmer. Oh, I've got the, the wrong people together here. Okay, Eby is the farmer. He's the farmer That's who ends wife. up in the canoe with, uh, with Lara. And he's Dressed a, still in the same outfit? <laughs> she borrows some clothes from the receptionist at the Union Hotel in Fort Benton. Um, so she's she's got shorty shorts on and little tank top flip-flops. and flip flops. But um, but E B is to back up a little bit. The thugs chase Laura to the river mm-hmm. to the next morning, and she she escapes from. Well, them. let me let me have yeah. you read that part because okay. I think it's a fun part where she's getting in the canoe. You know the part. Uh, that anyway, I'm so share. so. Bernice Eby's wife, she's the one who ran off with a local preacher. Mm-hmm. And okay. we get to meet him later. Okay. We are going to meet them because they're along the river too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So anyway, they are, she's getting on the, um, <laughs> into the canoe and not, and it does not go easily or well. We can just summarize this. Uh no, she's Laura knows nothing about, about the water. Or the no, water. Uh, and does not swim. And does not swim. And the water is the the color of coffee ice cream. It's murky. Mm-hmm. It's it's moving faster than you realize. Um, and the canoes are bobbing there on the water. And here's E. B. with a space on his canoe. These are two person canoes. Right. And here's Campbell, the guy who was driving the convertible and his daughter who's making a fuss. So they've already filled their canoe. Uh-huh. And uh, Laura says, no, I'm not going to go. And then she sees the the thugs chasing her and turns to turns to the canoe. Now, canoes are delicate. They're delicate boats. <laughs> Tell me about that. Yes. And, uh, and you don't jump into a canoe because most likely you'll dump it. And uh, But she sees the, the guys coming and she makes a, a, a run for the canoe, which is, I think, a little bit away from the shore, and jumps into it, and the thing shakes and shudders terribly, and E.B. screams at her, and they're off. Right. Yeah. But she doesn't know how to paddle. She doesn't know diddly Has squat. to learn very quickly. <laughs> Still doesn't learn. They're going around in circles down, you know, as the current carries them down. That's the right. And going around circles is okay in a, in a broad <laughs> river like that. Um, but if if nobody's in charge, it makes it a little difficult. There are things called rocks in the river and things like that. On this river, mostly there's there's a lot of mud um, ah. uh, on the shore, uh, but it's broad. And much of being in a canoe trip is to stick together and help each other if there's trouble. And so consequently, if you're fooling around and not going down river the way you should, you could run into snags, which are right. trees under the water you can't see, mm-hmm. and um, other kinds of things. And so they do have some difficulties and run into a snag, which and stops the canoe. Which stops the canoe hard. abruptly, right? Yeah. So tell us about why you know so much about uh, this particular river and the adventures in canoeing. Oh, the Missouri. <laughs> I've done a lot of canoeing. I've, I was telling Gil earlier, I've done canoeing on the Russian River. 
and uh, Russian also has a lot of snags, uh, and it have uh, also strainers where bushes grow down over the water. Right. And um, try to push you out of the canoe. Uh, they'll slide you right off the right. boat right. Uh, if you're not paying attention. And it's very helpful to be able to be in sync with the person in the stern or the person in the bow. Um, paddling together and calling out commands when you're coming close to obstructions. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not always easy because the current's rushing and it's loud, especially on the eel and the Russian, you have a lot of rocks. Right. Um, on other rivers like the Missouri, uh, mostly you worry about snags and also there's islands in the river. So if you're not paying attention, you could come up against an and get stuck in the mud. And get stuck in yeah, the mud. which, of course, happens. It, it does happen. And she steps out and loses her flip-flop. And, and Yeah, you know. I was on the Missouri one time where we had uh, we had a, a chain of five canoes at the, at the bank in order to disembark for the night. Mm -hmm. And the mud was so bad that one of the guys was up to it to his thighs, and he had to have two men pull him out. Mm, yeah. So, um, yeah, we didn't wear shoes for three days. It's not quicksand, but it'll, it'll keep you trapped. Keep right. you trapped, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You are listening to Word by Word, conversations with writers on Northern California Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests are novelists Suzanne Solomon and Kathy Zane, with two novels about women escaping abusive males. Suzanne's book, Montana Rhapsody, features a pole dancer who escapes an assault by three men by stabbing one with the stiletto heel of her shoe and spraying the others in the eyes with a can of hairspray. Kathy's book, Better Than This, features a woman with an older controlling husband and a past she's tried to forget. We already heard quite a bit about these fascinating women, but there's much more to come during the next half hour of Word by Word. So Seattle, you, yours is set in Seattle. Do you know Seattle well? Have you visited often or you know, have family I, there or what? I don't have family there, but I did visit there often. Um, in my early 20s, my husband was... Uh, sales rep and I would often travel up there with him and mm. I, I love Seattle it's sort of after San Francisco one of my favorite cities and so that's um, good coffee yes that's yeah. right I remember I I went up there to and getting Starbucks and Nordstrom before Starbucks and Nordstrom were anywhere but Seattle so right. um right. so I'd love that wasn't I, the good coffee I was thinking of that's all. <laughs> <laughs> so I love I love the area and um you know, I didn't set out to say, where do I need to, s where should I set this book? Mm -hmm. uh, it really came more through the character. And then I started seeing scenes of her in Seattle and it was like, okay, I guess that's where it's going to be. Okay. So this is interesting. We often hear from, especially novelists, that mm -hmm. the book starts to write themselves, put things together, characters take shape. I know you've shared with us on your, your and they have to be called characters. You know, at a point raised, they, ah, yes. they are off the top sometimes. Yeah. And some of these people are close to them in, in many ways in their, in their way they come across from on the page, mm -hmm. in a good way, in a good way. Uh, Susanna writes in dialogue a lot, which is a wonderful way to move a story along, tell a backstory, uh, find out about the characters in their minds and what they're not telling each other and all these kinds of nuanced bits. And you do that so well. Well, thank you. It's uh it's a lot of beatings from my writing instructor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I think you sit down and say, hmm, how's this person going to sound? And there they go. Uh, I've been working with Jim Fry for 20 years, yes. and you write a piece of lame dialogue, he will take <laughs> off your head. 
Yeah, Jim does has written that famous book, How to Write a Damn Good Novel. Yes. And he's been teaching uh, his perspective on how to do that. Well, let's see, when did I have him down at Asilomar? Uh, late 90s, so, yeah. Quite a while. Quite a while, yeah. yeah. So, you were writing before you did your novel. What does, What made you say, hey, this is that long, this is that story, this is the one to go with? And were you trying to, as a, as a psychotherapist, include, what am I going to call this, tips for people to be aware of things? So, uh, not at all. Okay, uh, <laughs> well, all right. So, this, this book came to be, again, I said, you know, I, I think that it is about domestic abuse, but that is almost more the vehicle um, for a bigger story, I think. And it, it does pull my psychotherapy roots in, in that I, you know, there's, there's a quote I have in the book that, you know, life is, me- life is hard and it's messy and people don't always act in good or loving ways, but that doesn't mean that love and goodness don't exist. And that's really sort of the message and the theme of the book, that with the help of friends, love and friendship is how we overcome obstacles and difficulties in life. And so for Sarah, the difficulty is this marriage that mm-hmm. has this abuse in it. Um, so what are her options? What does she consider her options? She doesn't really consider her options until things start to reach, you know, more of a crisis point. But there, in the meantime, there are good friends and this unopened letter that streams through the book that she finally opens, but not until near the end. Oh, really? Um, oh, yes. a secret. A secret. Yes. Um, but, you know, so it it's kind of woven there through the book. And, you know, you're kind of wondering what is in this letter. We know who it's from. So shortly after the, shortly after the dinner that Sarah and Robert had, mm-hmm. um, the next morning, Sarah's back at school. He has sent her a huge bouquet of roses to make up for his make bad it. behavior yeah. the night yeah. before. And her friend and fellow teacher Maggie comes in and sees the roses. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, you have this wonderful He's so man. romantic. He's so romantic. Yeah. He's so wonderful. And um, so they go off to lunch. And Maggie gets quiet at one point. And Maggie's usually this very um, talkative, quirky, extroverted character. And mm-hmm. she gets very quiet. And, and Sarah broaches that with her and Maggie's upset about being single. She's had a string of horrible relationships. They're about the same age. They're about the same age. String of horrible relationships. And so anyway, Sarah at one point wants to do something to bring Maggie out of this funk. And Maggie Maggie says, let's stop talking about it. I just any good gossip type of thing. And so Sarah goes back and forth weighing the option to tell Maggie about running into the boyfriend, Mm -hmm. Matt, the Mm -hmm. night before. And Does she have the idea of maybe the Matt and her friend could meet? No, she doesn't. We're not playing. No, no, not at all. Okay. Not at all. It was more. Should I tell Maggie about running into Matt? She might figure out because Maggie had seen the bruises, gotcha. and Sarah made up a story uh-huh. that it was about. She was carrying some canvas yeah, bags bag and, around her wrist. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So she made up a whole story. Maggie, Maggie was distracted by the roses, and so didn't even bother paying attention to Sarah's story too much. Anyway, long and short as they have lunch, Maggie is upset. Sarah wants to bring her out of it. And so she says, well, how about running into my old college boyfriend? And Maggie just lights up and, oh, tell me everything. And 
Um, I actually have a little. Do you want me to sure, read another? Sure, that'd be fun. So I'll just pick. We'll up. meet the old college boyfriend, or at least. Well, we don't meet him, him, but we'll yeah. hear a little bit about them. So. Um, he's not in a canoe, right? No, he's not in a canoe. Um, so this will just be very short. So I've brought you all the way up to this. Maggie's eyes pop open. Really? You never talked about a college boyfriend? Sarah shrugged. Not much to tell. It was working. Maggie was definitely hooked. There's always something to tell when it comes to old boyfriends. His name, how you met, how long you dated, what he was like in bed. Spill. I want to hear it all. Maggie scooted closer to Sarah on the bench. His name was Matt. We met through a friend, dated for a year, and in bed he was my first. End of story. The hell you say? You cannot follow he was my first with end of story. Sure I can, and I just did. Sarah got up and threw away the paper wrapping from her sandwich. We need to go. We're going to be late for class. Maggie jumped up to follow Sarah. No way. You're not leaving me hanging. I want all the gory details. Sarah sighed. She knew Maggie would never let this go. She'd wanted her to be in a better mood, and it had worked. So now it was time to pay the piper. Fine, but not now. We really need to get back. How about dinner at my house tonight? Robert's gone so we can have a girl's night. We'll make tacos. They're one of Lizzie's favorite dinners. Sounds perfect, Maggie said happily. She linked her arm with Sarah's, and they walked back to school. It's a date, and I'll bring the beer. And so that evening, what... Maggie learns is that um, Sarah got very upset when the boy the boyfriend was a med student and was going to do an overseas um, do some overseas work before going on to residency mm -hmm. and so decided to end their relationship feeling that she needed to go on and date other people and um, Matt, Sarah at the time got very upset wrote this horrible letter to him um, she got in, and so Maggie assumes that he never responded. And Sarah says, oh, no, I got a letter back. And, oh, what did he say? And she said, well, I never opened it. Mm. Uh -huh. so You're so clever. That's the letter. The little clues along the way. And that letter floats through the book till near the end. Right. Very nice. Right. Good, good hook. Yeah. It's that old, uh, you know, secret letter formula. The MacGuffin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. So we're on the river. Yes. And we're going along, and there's how many people in this group? Well, the the, the two sets of lead characters, E.B., the farmer, and right. Laurie in one canoe, Campbell and his daughter Francine in mm -hmm. another, and then there's some some women um, in, in their canoes who are basically with Campbell, mm -hmm. and they do some complaining after a while. Um, when E.B. and Laura run their canoe into a, a submerged log, right. they basically get a hole in it, and they have lost the rest of the, the They're the completely group. separate from They're them. completely separate. The separated. others have gone forward. The other ones have gone forward, which is now, something we should never canoe do. canoe etiquette? I was no. going to say, no. No, and um, so Campbell then has to head back up the river to try to find... Paddling against the current all the way the was current. the quote, right? Yeah. And... Um, the uh, Lewis and Clark did this river, mm -hmm. and they poled it, which meant that they stuck deep, long poles deep into the mud to right, move along right. the shore. And Campbell is too proud to uh, to Punt consider it, as to, they to call it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, to consider that that uh, he knows how to do it. He doesn't know how to do that. Um, but his daughter catches up with him by poling, and at this point, Campbell is exhausted and 
talking as if because he's, he's been rowing the whole he's paddling, been paddling the paddling, whole time right uh, so he's been reading um, the, the Lewis and Clark story mm-hmm. and he starts to feel like he's a part of the team of Lewis and Clark I love how you have books in your in your canoes I assume they're all wrapped in in Ziploc bags <laughs> because one of them was a five pound uh, Oh, text on, on uh, philosophers. Oh, yeah, or that's uh, Francine. Yes. Yeah. She's uh-huh. a little different. She she likes philosophy <laughs> and chemistry. She's studying Immanuel Kant. She, she quotes from <laughs> yes. That. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Besides, it's a heavy book that'll come in handy as a weapon. It could. Yes. Yes. So, one of the things that happened. Obviously, this is you know this is the old river as a learning experience, a growing experience. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be different at the end of the trip than I am at the start, right? Well, that's not what anybody expects. Really? <laughs> they think I mean, that's be not just what the, the characters expect. Ah, okay. The characters expect an easy three-day float on the river, and it actually is a three-day float. They're going to just sit float. in an inner tube and float along. Float down the river, yeah. but, the, but, the, but the book has different, different ideas. Laura's the first one to notice the problems, would you say? Because she's not, she's strong. She has an inner core strength. Yes. But paddling is a whole different set of muscles. It's a whole different skill set. Yep. Yes. And that she has no hat. She has no hat, which is a bad She did idea. get sunscreen from the lady, though. She got a she small bottle sunscreen. of sunscreen. Uh, yeah. SPF 5. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Do they even make that anymore? <laughs> well, she had, it was left over, you know, one of those free she tries, <laughs> she tries to give some to E.B. and get him to put it on his face. Uh-huh. Um, because you get the reflection off the water. Oh, it makes yeah. It no, three you, times as bad. When I paddle the river, I have, I have long SPS pants 500. on. SPS 500. SPS 500. I have long pants. I have long sleeves. I have a huge hat. I have big sunglasses. And, right. Um, yeah, you can get pretty badly burned. Out Absolutely. There. And she is getting badly burned. She, she is. Yeah. But she's having a lot of adventures on the way. Well, that's true. I mean, this is certainly not what she thought she was going to be doing this day, you know, based know. on her previous experience. Yeah. Now, um, she was kind of a mentor to uh, a younger woman That's who right. she contacts and says, send money. You know, That's to... her friend from Los Angeles. Right. Yes. Stella. Stella. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but of course, she's left the money behind because she's in a canoe now. So yeah, she, she has, has nothing. She has she's nothing, nothing, really. Nothing, nothing yeah. that's hers. Well, yeah. maybe the bra still somewhere. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> so she really depends on her wits and her smarts and her and the bad guys are not giving up the bad guys do pursue her and uh, she meets uh, i've been on a lot of rivers and i've met a lot of nice people on you rivers. met the bad guys too but this river has some bad guys on it uh-huh. and they feel entitled to enjoy some of laura's pleasures mm-hmm. which she is not willing to depart with mm-hmm. or share or share right well, one of the things I like is your description of the river being, uh, E.B. says to her, well, you don't have to worry because this is just wilderness for the next number of miles, right. number of days. Yes. Uh, you know, and there's high, steep cliffs and there's massive forests and stuff. They won't make it. This is a national monument called the Missouri Breaks National Monument. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's nothing there. Uh, maybe you'll see uh, cattle a little bit, uh, homesteaders cabins, and a lot of birds. There's a line cabin. I know that because they end up using that as a That's place right. to hide. That's right. down by um, Hole in the Wall Campground, yes. Yes. Now, is that the Hole in the Wall Campground from the, the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance? Or is that oh, another one? Oh, I 
uh, I think Butch Cassidy and the Sundance is probably a canyon in the mountains, which is called Hole in the Wall. But this campground, actually, one of the cliffs surrounding it is so thin, it actually has a hole Sort of like our, our hole in the, off the coast up here, the, the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you can actually see the moon through it I was if you're paying you, attention. We were going to see the ghost of Butch and Sundance <laughs> up there. <laughs> so she has her friend who's interested in there. She's going to come over for uh, the night and have tacos. Mm-hmm. Go forward from there. What precipitates, what's the word I want? What is the aha moment for the woman? For, for Sarah? Wife, for Sarah. Without giving too much away, of course. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how to. Um, okay, let's put it this way. How far into the book? Pretty Halfway, far. Pretty far, two-thirds? No, it's, it's more like two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through the book. Do readers keep saying, my gosh, wake up? Yes, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. There's a real frustration, I think, with Sarah's character. Um, you want to shake her and say, what are you, you know, yes, what are you it's doing? It's like you Tina know? Turner and what's love got to do with it? What Doesn't she see what's going on? Right, right, yeah. exactly. And, and it's, and it's part of the, part of the um, exploration is seeing how, you know, I think for me, and this is bringing the psychotherapist in again, but wanting to, you know, I really see people and life more in shades of gray than black and white. Mm-hmm. And really trying to, you know, I think I've had many or several people who have read this that have had the similar experiences as Sarah say, oh my goodness, you got it just right. That's how I felt. That's the struggle I was in. I think other people who don't know that are going to be more judgmental. Like, why the heck don't you just get out? And so I think I was really trying to show that inner struggle, that how hard it is to be in that cycle and to have those honeymoon periods and to and to have the hope that it's going to be what you want it to be. And so that really is Sarah's struggle throughout. Um, so is she looking for a father figure? She's she's healing some father issues, and mm-hmm. we find that out as we go through, that her father was quite abusive. And um, we learned something about her mother um, at one point in the book. And, and it was a real, it was one of those times where I see the beauty of writing in that I was learning about myself. I was writing about myself in the process and didn't realize it in that mm. I grew up in a home with domestic violence and mm. I had a mother who gave up playing the piano and the cello because she was just dealing with the stress of the marriage and Sarah's mother gives up painting. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was a hard part of the book for me to write and I didn't get what was going on until after. So was it it. cathartic in a way? It was cathartic in a way. Absolutely. I ended up dedicating the book to my mother based on that small piece of the book. Well, then you're close with her now and I've finished the book. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Um, See another advantage of writing. Yeah. Yes. 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 I had so many surprises here. As I said, I started with the character and I'm, I'm very much a pantser as opposed to a plotter. I kind of let it unfold. Seat of your pants? Yes, yeah, seat yeah, okay. of the pants. I didn't I, know what, I was like, what, how do you spell that? <laughs> I think it's P-A-N-T-Z-E-R. I yeah. Um, so, you know, and these characters, this book was many, many revisions. Uh, it actually started as a screenplay. I wrote it first as a mm-hmm. screenplay. Mm-hmm. I read that. Um, yeah. And then put it on a shelf for many years and then went back to it. And 
it really changed as I moved more into the prose and the characters took me in some different directions than I anticipated. It was, I love that process. I love. So the process of writing a screenplay for those listeners who don't know is it's primarily dialogue. Yes. There's some minor setting sets up, you know, that that you do in the notes, but um, you know, you're in a new different room or, you know, whatever the scene set will be. But um, when you write a novel, you've got to put that in there. So that's the prose part you're talking about. Yes, yes, yeah. Susanna, how long did it take you to do Montana Rhapsody in the same vein here? Uh, Well, over 12 years. Right. And you started with? Uh, Well, I started with Jim Fry, but it took him, took me about eight or nine years to write something he liked. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And uh, he, 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 he yelled at me one time and said, make something up. And said a bunch of curse words at me. and mm-hmm. uh, That sounds like Jim. I was in a week-long writing class with him, and this was a Tuesday night, so I went and had a beer and thought, I'm going to get my revenge, and came up with my pole dancer standing on the shoreline of this river looking rather askance at having to go canoeing. Uh-huh. And, Interesting. And uh, So she was, your, she was your safety net. How to go back to see Jim Fry. (laughs) (laughs) She was born of anger. (laughs) Ah, okay. Well, she's a very powerful character. So in that sense, it it was uh, well-used anger. Yeah. Yeah, It's been a good motivator for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting. Both of you writing from a different source than, you know, I'm going to sit down and write a novel because I have to get her a novel out in, you know, number of weeks or months or whatever it might be. So did you set up a task for yourself? Did you set I up was a not, deadline or anything? Not at all. I was not. I was writing because it was fun. I was enjoying it. I, I thought for many years this was just my personal process. Right. I was not at all Almost like a thinking, memoir kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I was not yeah. at all. And it wasn't, I mean, it was pure fiction. I was making it up, but I was finding how much I loved the process. I think the screenplay writing really helped me. Um, hone dialogue mm-hmm. and absolutely I did you read it aloud when you're doing it yes yes and I and I loved I had taken a screenwriting class with Dara Marks who wrote on story it's a you know yeah. uh, she has a transformational arc she has some psychological background and and I loved that and I thought oh I could apply that to a story and but the story wasn't working and so I did the screenplay right and so do you have your transformational arc here I do. Do we have a learning experience we do. to end up with a denouement that we goes do. in the we, right we direction? We do. We have a, um, I think we have a satisfying resolution uh-huh. um, that has been some and of the feedback. And she doesn't burn him in his bed or she doesn't, you know, no. shoot him and, with a shotgun or And anything we like even that. get some insight into him by uh-huh. the end of the book. Well, that's good, I guess. Um, so. Um, he had a misunderstood childhood with those difficult parents of his. You know, all that money and nothing, no love. There's something along those lines. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. He has he has his stuff too. They both have their demons, and you know, um, get to work through some of that by the end of the book. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I was not ever thinking I'd end up with a published novel. So um, here I am. Here you are. Well, it's <laughs> nice to talk with you about it. Yes, thank I'm you. Delighted you could do that uh, for a variety of reasons for yourself as well, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. good. And for you too to take a twelve-year project and come to a, a the end moment. I wanted to publish it before I died. <laughs> well, you've managed that. That's on your bucket list. <laughs> I'm going to publish my novel before I die. Because you did, you started working on this before you did your short stories with yeah, Eldred and everybody. Yeah, I had 
many, 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 many rejections. And I actually tried to read a piece of this at one of those pints and pros at Perry's. Uh -huh. Which part did you read? Do you remember? Um, Was it a pole dancing? No, no. no. Um, but over at Pints and Pros, there's a five-minute limit. Right. And uh, I went past the five-minute limit, and I got pulled off the stage to much embarrassment. They don't have one of those hooks like they do in the <laughs> Well, a lot of people vaudeville. yell at you when they oh. blow a horn. Oh, okay. uh, and ah. Then you just about die of embarrassment. But I, de I was determined to read aloud something, and that's something that fit in that five-minute window. That's mm -hmm. why I started to write the short stories. I had no idea. I would So the short, short stories... stories were encouraged by your length of a novel. Uh, you had to have something shorter. That I had to have minutes. something that fit. I had to have a beginning, middle, and end in short in five minutes. And make a point. And make sense. And have people laugh at that was kind of nice along the way. Well, that, you was read, a, that was a surprise. Have you read her? her uh, I haven't. You have to pick it I up. I haven't. I would like is, to. I'm it a is Marin. a wonderful read. Yes. It's a great thing to pick up and put down and come back to and then just enjoy because they're not... They're, they're sequential sort of sure. stories. They're all in the same area. The characters ebb and flow, but there's a few who you get to know quite well. That's right. That's right. That's well, right. I, I love West Marin, and oh, I think well, I will enjoy the story. I'll, you should, I'll yes. give you a copy. So that is, that is called uh, Point Reyes. Point Reyes Sheriff's, Sheriff's, Sheriff's Calls. Calls. Yeah. Yes. And, and after five years, Point it's Ray's still Sheriff's sells. Call. Good. Yes, still that's sells. great. Wonderful. So um, when you had your novel done, and you had your novel done, and you're looking for a publisher. Were you doing the over the transom bits, or did you know I, I somebody about, who knew somebody? Or? I did about 65 queries. Whoa. And then I ran out of steam. And uh, the different versions of the novel? Mm, yeah, but basically the queries are one page, so mm -hmm. the queries were kind With of the, summary. the same. Yeah. Um, uh, people would ask for the first chapter, and uh, then they wouldn't like it. They'd ask for the whole thing, and then they wouldn't like it. Then they didn't like that I switched point of views, which people do all the time in novels. And um, when well, I well, especially, I mean, not to interject yeah. here, but especially when you're different canoes that are not in visual sight of each of other. Of course, yeah, of course. Um, but I sent it to She Writes, and Brooke liked it immediately. So I was very pleased. And then I waited a year or two uh, because I was coming out with the second short story collection. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, I should get so this So much thing energy up. in your body and got to focus it. Yeah. 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 Good. You ended up with She Writes as well. I did. I did. I, so I went to a Litquake event in downtown oh, yeah. San Rafael. Yeah. And Bill Petricelli oh, was yeah. speaking about publishing. Mm -hmm. And he described everything from self-publishing up through the big five and um, talked about She Writes in that lecture. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting to me. But I wasn't, you know, I was still in a place of this is women's fiction. It's an incredibly difficult genre to break into. You know, everything I'd heard, I'd talked to published authors and, you know, that Women's literary fiction. Yes, yes. Yeah. And getting into a big five publisher is like you either have to be a celebrity or um, someone who is a young, fresh voice. And I didn't think I was going to qualify for that right. <laughs> at my late, late age. Um, so it, it was just in my head, but I, was, I still wasn't thinking about it. And then I don't know if you 
either of you know the Marin paper, there's uh, four things to do today. IJ? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Independent Journal. Independent Journal. Right. And um, we both a, know people who write for the IJ. We do. Yes. And it was a rainy New Year's Day, actually, a year, year ago. And a little over a year ago now, a year and a half ago, I guess. And Brooke was speaking. And so I went to hear her speak. Mm-hmm. And and so I ended up submitting to She Writes to see. I really wanted to have someone's eyes on it to say, yeah, this is worth going forward. And she really liked it. And so we moved forward. I did I did do a rewrite with some suggestions she gave and, and then went forward with them. I've been really happy. It's such a tremendous community of oh, that women is writers. For sure. Yeah, that's it's for just sure. been phenomenal. The support, I, it's beyond anything I could have dreamed of. So I'm really happy. Your title, better than this, mm-hmm. is that yours, or is that from an editor, or what? That um, that was not my working title. Um, what was it? The voice in her head, hmm. which was this inner voice that went. I yeah. like I like better than this much better. So we did a brainstorming. <laughs> you can do better than this. Yes, yes. Uh, we did a brainstorming. Had a list of probably about ten titles. Um, I had a two. I had a couple favorites. This was one of them, and I. And so I just surveyed many women that I know from 20s through their 60s. Mm-hmm. And, um, That's always good. And uh, this, this title stood out. So. And it really, did, it really did speak to the arc that I was talking about, the, you, know, that, you know, this idea of there's got to be something better than this. Right. I'm in this and, and her struggle to come to that. So the Montana is obvious. What about the Rhapsody part? Just fun. Just fun. You like the words together. <laughs> I do. Okay. That's a good answer. You have been listening to Word by Word Conversations with Writers in Northern California Public Media, KRCB-FM. Gil Manser's guests are novelists Suzanne Solomon and Kathy Zane with their novels about women threatened by abusive males. After escaping three rapists by jumping out a second-story window, pole dancer Laura Fisher finds herself on a swiftly flowing river in a canoe with a man she's never met in Susanna's Montana Rhapsody. In Kathy's Better Than This, Sarah Jenkins' carefully crafted facade of perfect wife and mother cracks wide open after she finds the letters she had forgotten about and never opened. Both novelists will be having events close by this month. Susanna's book launches on September 8, 2018 at Book Passage in Corte Madera at 7 p.m. And Kathy's book event is at Books, Inc. in Berkeley on September 27th, also at 7 p.m. Today's studio engineer is Anthony Garcia. Our station manager is Sean Knight. Radio coordinator, Wendy Nicholson. Podcast archivist, Mark Prell. Music is by Bill Conti, and I'm your host, Gil Manser. We want to invite you to the next Word by Word broadcast from 4 to 5 on Sunday, October 14th, when I will be a whole year older. Until then, enjoy the beautiful fall days in and around Sonoma County.